0: So as I said, I'm excited to have Bill share with you this morning. Uh, and just a few things before we get to that. Um, Bill Ruggles, he came to our church a few years ago. He actually met me at a district gathering and happened to be there for it. And I was giving a presentation on uh, youth and young people. And Bill, Bill saw that presentation. And he wanted to come to our church. And that next week, uh, when he came on a Sunday morning... We were doing Tammy Malinelli. She was doing her vow renewals with her husband, John, who Bill had known personally. He had, he had worked with her before and, and worked with her daughter, I believe. Uh, uh, oh, John, uh, Bill's daughter worked with Tammy, uh, so knew them well. And so it just seemed like it was the right fit. And so Bill's been uh, a part of our church since then. He was uh, attending the Saturday evening service uh, for a season, and uh, has begun to sing in the choir in this last year. And uh, and I know uh Eun-Ju is very grateful to have another male voice singing in the choir. And he's been a real blessing to our church over the last couple of years. So I'm excited to have him share this morning uh, about John Wesley and some of his own journey, some of his experience, and how we understand that Wesleyan quadrilateral. So will you welcome this morning to the pulpit Mr. William Sherman Ruggles. <laughs> Okay.
1: This is the first time, as he just mentioned, that I'm doing this. I do do quite a bit of public speaking in other settings, but this is the first time I'm actually standing up in a pulpit. I'm glad to see so many familiar faces here to help me get through this kind of first trial. You have my son-in-law who joined us, and uh, he uh, actually majored in philosophy of religions uh, in his undergraduate days, so he's gonna sure at letting me know what I got right, what I didn't get right about John Wesley today. So thank you, Todd, for coming. Uh, also, you might notice that Vivi's not here today. She's in Hawaii with our newest granddaughter. Uh, so she's um, you know actually working more than she's playing, but she'll be back next week. Um, last week, uh, Pastor Brian finished that three-part series. You may have you attended that three-part series on suffering. I'm going to kind of try to do a little bit of a segue here and kind of take it into kind of uh, looking at the suffering I've done personally, what... Um, what some of the things you may have experienced, and then a potential solution through the founder of our denomination, uh, John Wesley. So um, he learned a lot of lessons in his life, as you'll see this morning. If you haven't studied him before, if you haven't read his works, uh, they've helped me with deal with my struggles involving both physical and spiritual health, and how those lessons may help you to deal with them. So what I'd like to do is kind of first let you know about that word struggle and what it means to me in my life. Uh, That's our coat of arms. And you probably can't see because it's up in the top just below the word struggles, but it's there, struggle. So the name Ruggles was uh, was derived from the word struggle many years ago. So it it, it gave for me a special meaning to, anytime someone would say the word struggles, I would immediately think, "Uh uh-oh, that's me. What am I gonna do to not only deal with myself, but help other people overcome their struggles because we all do struggle. Um, in my case, I have, you know, we, they talk about the seven uh, deadly sins. And uh, in my case, you know, there's the kind of a graphic. You can see kind of the fire burning. They uh, don't talk about sin much anymore. When I grew up in the Methodist church, a small town in, in north central Massachusetts back in the 1960s, uh, there was a lot of talk about sin and how we needed the Lord in order to help us overcome sin. So I'm going to be honest with you, that's one of the things, the first thing I was introduced to was the fact that uh, there were these mortal sins that I needed to be careful with and that they could, in fact, cause struggle. The fact is, and suffering, the fact is the one that I have found to be the, 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 the strongest working in my life and trying to work against it is the word gluttony, an addiction to food and tendency to consume it in an overindulgent way. So whether it be breakfast, lunch, or dinner, I had three rules when it comes to food. Maybe you're the same way, Timmy. I want a lot of it. It's got to taste good, and I want it now. <laughs> and then I went and I married a woman who was a great cook, and that just basically further fed. I can't blame her because it's my gluttony. I'm the one who have to deal with it. And so that's one of the things I've been doing in recent years. And I know I'm not alone because if you look at the statistics, uh, nearly 75% of American men are either overweight or obese. And, lest the ladies kind of feel proud and and happy, uh, they say that more than 60% of American women are also either overweight or obese. Uh, But that's no excuse for someone like me. I can't just let that happen. And so that's something that I'm doing as I'm working toward becoming a certified lay minister in the uh, Methodist Church. Hopefully next year I'll fulfill that goal. Right now I'm a certified lay servant. Um, I hope to have that, uh, that sin of gluttony uh, under control, with the Lord's help. Let's talk a little bit now about that person I mentioned, the the uh, the founder of our faith, John Wesley. Uh, John was the uh, was an Anglican uh, minister who was one of nine, uh, one of nineteen children. He was nine, the ninth. Only nine of them survived. They had nineteen total children back then. That's why I think they had such large families because infant mortality rate was so high. Um, he, uh, let's see here. He, um, he was born to an Anglican pastor father, Samuel, and a progressive, has stay-at-home but very hands-on mother, Susanna, who's often credited with being the mother of our denomination, Methodism. Um, and he experienced plenty of struggles over his 87 years. You can see he grew up in Epworth, Lincolnshire, England. Uh, not, by, by the way, not very far from where a lot of my ancestors grew up in uh, sussex and essex county of uh, england he was ordained in the uh, church of england in 1725 educated at oxford very prestigious university where he formed the holy club which i think is something unique because he believed the best way to grow the faith and to practice the four things that i'm going to share with you that he thought were the pillars of our faith uh, you needed to do it in small groups um, and he also was accompanied by his brother Charles. How many of you know that Charles Wesley wrote over 6,500 hymns that are sung today? So it was a two kind of two-headed monster, two, two double double uh, trouble for the for the for the for the for the devil because he had both John and Charles to deal with. Um, and then as I said, he founded uh, our faith. Uh, it wasn't officially founded until after he died. He spent a lot of time with uh, in the Anglican Church. Where he was officially ordained, but um, uh, when I talk about a couple of struggles here, he decided, hey, I'm going to set up my own uh, organization, and they kept calling him, well, you are have a method to your madness, don't you? So that's how they came up with the word Methodist. So what were some of the things that John Wesley struggled with? He wasn't always, things didn't always go well for him. Um, he barely survived a fire at age six that was started, unfortunately, by angry, angry congregants and citizens from the surrounding area of Epworth who resented his uh, preacher father. And uh, that fire destroyed his childhood home. Uh, And That's one of the earliest memories that they have of of John Wesley. His patience in trusting God failed him. Number two, uh, was put to shame by a group of German Moravian pietists when he was making his first and only trip to the New World. He actually didn't come to New England, New, Jer- New York, New Jersey area. He came, went down south to what was called Georgia, named after King George. And the city of Savannah eventually was settled where he went. And um, uh, on that trip coming across, he got terribly seasick. He lost his lunch, and he uh, lost his courage under the stress of the high seas caused by that torrential f- f- storm. But when he looked at the group of Moravians who were s- taking the trip with him, they were just praising the Lord, singing praises, praying, and they were actually happy. They said, "We're going to survive this. We trust in the Lord," and that kind of put him to shame. He kind of thought, "Geez, I really should be stronger, Christian than that." And I think all of us have felt that one time or another. So he had to cut short that that same trip, that missionary trip, which he was going to go and and preach to the uh, the, the heathen, the indigenous populations in lower in the lower part of the colonies. But he left after the six months. Uh, kind of hastily leaving town, he got himself involved in an unfortunate affair, and um, so he had to kind of basically leave a failure. So again, not was all not was all rosy with John Wesley. He had to return to England without having fulfilled his charter, his mission. Another one he um, once he got back, he had to ride around England. He put on two hundred and fifty thousand miles on horseback. Remember back then they didn't have trains, they didn't have. Other public transportation, the primary mode of transportation was horseback to get his message heard by the people, especially the poor and the downtrodden. That's who he was reaching out to, the people who wouldn't be allowed in the Anglican churches because they were beneath the dignity of the people who were part of it. Uh, Almost all of his sermons, therefore, were delivered outside the churches. And if you know anything about churches in England, the old churches, what are they surrounded by? Cemeteries. So in many cases, he was leaning up or standing on top of a large tombstone to give his uh, sermon. And uh, his, the leadership of the Church of England resented him because the primary focus of his sermons was the new birth and salvation by faith, not by membership in the church. And they didn't like that. That competed with the message that they wanted to send. Well, you know, you say, well, what about his, his uh, married life? Well, the fact is he waited until he was 48 years old to get married. But unfortunately, you can think about anybody who's married to someone who travels a lot for a living, it's not always easy. So after 15 years, she said, look, I've had enough. She she was a widow and had four children of her own from the previous marriage. But um, she said, I've had enough. I just can't take these constant separations. That's not the way I think a marriage should be. And so she separated from him and they never, they tried to get back together several times, but it just never worked out after about 15 years. So here he is, the founder of our faith and some, a founder of our denomination and someone who gave unselfishly to other people and as a, as a, as a result, his own relationships suffered, particularly with, again, the, uh, the, the woman that he tried to marry and establish a long-term relationship. So let's move to what were some of the things that John Wesley was known for? What were the four key pillars so in spite of all these challenges and struggles, he looked through the clouds, he looked through the mist, and he never, never let down for very long. And if you read the biographies about him and the works that he left behind, there were four key pillars of the faith that he identified. First and foremost, scripture, then tradition, experience, and then reason. You want a mnemonic for that? One of the things I look at is how can I help it, make it easy for people to remember. It's stir, S-T-E-R, stir. Let's take a look at, uh, at um, kind of a model that was, was, was created. Whoops, looked like uh, a couple of the letters got eaten in the translation here. That says scripture on the top. Notice it's in red, and it's at the top of this quadrilateral. This was the model or the name given to him by a 20th century theologian, a Methodist theologian, by the name of Albert Outler. And uh, he said that there's scripture, on, one, on the top, and then on one side, tradition, experience, and reason on the bottom. And he felt that that was the best way for people to be able to kind of grasp and look at this concept, the quadrilateral. There are other models out there that are, have Venn diagram-type circles, but I think this is the one that comes closer to what he described. So again, these four particular areas, uh, That in terms of a, of a brief description of each one, Uh, By scripture, obviously, he's talking about the the word of God, the Bible. Uh, It's the first and primary authority. Everything else has to go through scripture. It contains the only measure whereby all truth can be tested. After, After scripture comes tradition. Tradition would be, again, the history that we accumulate over the years. He said, don't undervalue the witness of development and growth of the faith through the past centuries and in many nations and cultures. So here's where things like architectural findings and um, things like uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls that weren't discovered until 1948. Those are things that are both scriptural and show about the traditions back in the years uh, before Christ. The next was for him was importance was experience. You have to kind of feel it, go through it. And so apart from scripture, he said experience is the strongest proof of Christianity for each person. For example, a person who would say, one thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. Well, it's hard to beat that experience. And if you uh, read any of the Gospels, you'll see all the miracles that he worked. Those were the things that really got people's attention. Say, wow, this guy must be for real. And then the last one we can't forget, he didn't believe that we have a blind faith. He believed that we have a reasonable faith. So reason was the fourth and Uh, fourth pillar and very, very important. He said, without reason, we cannot understand the essential truth of scripture as long as we are assisted, of course, by the Holy Spirit. So those are the four key pillars. Those are the elements that I think um, uh, have helped me organize my thinking when it comes to my faith and dealing with my mortal sin, that gluttony, and and some of the others that aren't quite so strong in my life, but Everybody's different. Um, so I urge you to kind of consider, and, and if you're interested, dig more deeply because there's a lot of information out there on the internet. If you just do a search for John, Wesleyan, uh, John Wesley or the Wesleyan Quadrilateral, you'll find a lot of material either about him or by him because he left a lot of works behind. Unfortunately though, he, between that one fire that they had when John was six years old and another one they had later, a lot of his works were lost, the writings. So, But there's still quite a bit. So now, I think, here's where I'm kind of editorializing a bit. Based on these wordings, um, I think that we can add a really important element to the middle of that diamond-shaped diagram. And that's where I believe the Trinity. Since John Wesley is a Trinitarian, as are we, I think it's important to put in the center with arrows pointing out in the different quadrants, the different uh, sides of the quadrangle, uh, is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What do you think? Are they important enough to include in a map model focusing on Methodism? So this is just my personal twist on the Wesleyan quadrilateral because the space is there and it just makes sense to me. So uh, the question you might be asking now is, so what, Bill? <laughs> What's this mean to me? What's this got to do with me? I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, I don't have the problems and struggles and sin- sinful... Tendencies that you do said, like, well, okay. Speak to me afterwards and let me know what your secret is because I <laughs> need to know it. I want to be where you. I want. I want to have what you're having. But let's assume you're interested in what are some of the next steps that you could take uh, to to implement and and learn from the the four aspects of scripture, tradition, experience, and reason. First, if you're not already, I encourage you to select a daily devotional. And if you can only do it alone, that's better than not doing one at all. Try to do it as early as you can in the morning because it serves for me, it serves as the filter for the rest of my day. If I put it off and don't do it until later, (laughs) I find I'm I'm not ready for the different challenges and struggles that are gonna come my way that day. Also, if you have someone, a significant other, with whom you can do it, I do it with my wife whenever we can. We have slightly different biorhythms. I'm early to bed, early to rise. She's late to bed, late to rise. So sometimes we don't always uh, do it together, but we always try to pray or do something special and then talk about that day's devotional. We actually use an electronic version. So those of you who are kind of into iPhones or uh, Androids or, or the different kinds of uh, uh, mobile devices, you can use the, that. Or we actually have copies here in the office if you want to take a look at one. Uh, they come out every two months. So this would be the September-October issue, just, just ending into the next week then there'll be a November-December issue. So if you want to pick up a copy, take a look and try it out, there's your opportunity. In addition to the devotional, which is basically a personal story from this person who submits it, there's a prayer, a prayer focus, and a thought for the day. Uh, They also have a, uh, if you have a visually impaired, there's a uh, large print edition. And if you speak another language, if you prefer another language other than English, then they have it in 35 different languages. So, it's it's there for you if you want it and it's not expensive second thing you might try to do or think about doing is to either start a small group in your home or join a small group that's already in existence for example we've got the disciple bible study the kickstart class that ed was leading uh, united methodist women's circles stewardship classes that pastor brian will be leading christ revealed video sessions that i led and i'll be doing again in the future um there's also, of course, the chancel choir and the sacred messengers that uh, Yunju and Mike are organizing and keep going so well. There's the worship band. If you think I'm going to the, afternoons, uh, the afternoon, the second service, the 11 o'clock service, get involved in the worship band. Um, there's a lot of opportunities for you to grow spiritually and put the uh, Wesleyan Quadrangle into practice through small groups. Remember that holy uh, club that he set up? That's what that was a small group where four to five, six guys got together and they talked about the issues. And another thing you might try, I did it about a year and a half ago, is make a pilgrimage. Take a trip or a cruise as a part of a tour. And There's an organization called EO uh, Tours. And it's fine print, so anyway, I'll give you the URL if you're interested. Let's organize a trip to go to Israel. There's nothing like going to Israel to get all four in one fell swoop. So at this point... What I'd like you to think about is I'm going to close with a quote from John Wesley himself. As you're thinking about the next steps and imagining the possibilities for 2020, here's what John Wesley said. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. God bless you, and have a great Laity Sunday. Thank you.
0: very good in just a moment we're going to sing and have our time of prayer but i just want to mention i think this is a very timely sermon i have had countless people come to me to say you know when i read the bible when i go to the scriptures i know it's important but when i read it i just don't understand it i don't i don't know what this means and the wesleyan quadrilateral is an an excellent way for us to dive into the scriptures. Um, there's something I came across a few years ago that said the single most important thing for Christians to grow in their faith is to engage in the scriptures. That's how we grow as Christians. And when you read the scriptures and you don't understand what it means, that that's that key step. Use the quadrilateral. Read scripture and interpret scripture by other scripture. Use reason, use uh, the traditions of the church, of how we've classically interpreted these things. The the quadrilateral makes a world of difference so that we can engage in the scriptures, understand it for ourselves, and to grow in our faith. So thank you, Bill, for that, that timely message. I appreciate that.